From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 319. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, KiwiCo, and Sanebox. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am very good, my friend. Very good indeed. And I have a hashtag Snell Talk question to open this week's episode that comes from Marley's, who asks, Do you always hit the lock button before you put your phone away? Yes. Yeah, I feel like I do this too. I and tried I, to not do this when I was in the store the other day because of masks. Oh, because then you have to unlock? Because then right? I have to unlock it. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Can I ask a, a, a more personal question? Oh, no. Well, I mean, the, the, just the, other than the sheer terror of not unlocking your phone and then, mm-hmm. like, do you put it back in your pocket and it, it receives touches there or you have to lay it down somewhere and now you have an unlocked phone that's unguarded that's just laying on the, you know, on the on the trolley, on the, mm-hmm. on the shopping cart? Like, uh, okay, sure. Anyway, no is the answer to that. How complicated is your pin? So it, it was an alphanumeric pin. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I shifted it back to numbers for mask unlock. Mm-hmm. And then I decided that I hated that it was numbers and I went back to my alphanumeric pin. So you have a quite complicated one, huh? I mean, are you trying to hack me now? It It, it is, This yes. is why it's private. I mean, I'll say, like, I uh, I have a four-digit pin. Ah. I know that that's bad for so many reasons. Well, that's but the thing is I, I shifted to that and and then I decided I couldn't I couldn't bear it and so I went back to the other. If I was let me let me just say if I was out in public with my phone and a mask all mm-hmm. the time, there's no way I could keep the pin that I've got. I would have yep. to go to a four digit pin because it would drive me bananas. But mm-hmm. I am, you know, a hermit, <laughs> so I don't have to do that generally. Yeah, I. Uh... I really want Touch ID. <laughs> I really want Touch ID. But I, nice. do, uh, I do lock my phone always before I put it away. And I also am very, um, I think fastidious is the right word here, uh, to make sure that my phone is on the first home screen before I lock it. So whenever I put my phone huh. down, I always want it to be back to <laughs> home page one before I lock it. That's that- me. That is interesting. That's that reminds me of my mom back when she had a um a laptop. Now she just has an iPad. But back when she would have a laptop, before she would put it to sleep or shut it down, she would close all the windows in the Finder. Mm-hmm. And I always thought like, is that to keep like dust from getting in the windows or something? <laughs> I don't understand why you're doing that. And I I'd say it's a similar thing. I know I get it. You probably want it to be nice and clean and fresh and open to the first screen and not have one of those moments where you open it up and you're like, oh, who who got in here? Why is this all messed up? You like yeah. want it the way uh, you want it. I don't know it. if but there is the a reason, time, but now it's it, just one it, of those things that I can't stop myself from doing. You know, you could get dust in those other screens. So you really you gotta, could. You gotta keep them out of there. Yeah, for just you only want to wipe down the one home screen, which is. Can you imagine one. the horror. You open your phone. You're on the second screen. What am I gonna do? Where are my apps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You unlock and you're like, oh, how disappointing. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, there are better apps. It's over here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Molly's for sending in that question, which spurred many other questions. If you would like to send in something to help us open a future episode of the show, send out a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk. I'll use command. Uh, question mark snell talk in the real fm members discord we have an exciting production note oh this is this is about as exciting a production note as it as they get because most production yeah. notes not exciting <laughs> but this one i'm very excited about this 
So on the next episode of Upgrade, we're going to be joined by Tim Millett, who is the Vice President of Platform Architecture at Apple, who was featured in the keynote two weeks ago talking about the A14, and Tom Boger, who is Apple's Senior Director of Mac and iPad Product Marketing. So that's going to be on our next episode. We're going to be talking to them about a bunch of things. So the A14 Bionic, the yeah. new iPad Air, and Apple Silicon. So they're kind of the uh-huh. the things that they are the topics of discussion. But here's what we're going to do: something we haven't been able to do before. We want your questions because usually our our Apple interviews that we do are like surprise. There's a mm-hmm. new product. Here's an Apple interview, and this time we know about the product. It hasn't hasn't shipped yet, but we know about the product. Um, but we're giving you warning that mm-hmm. it's coming, mm-hmm. and that means we can do something we've never done before with an Apple interview. Which is to ask your questions. So you can send in questions, as you always do, by using hashtag AskUpgrade or question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, and we'll be able to get some answer during the show. Uh, you don't need to preface it in any way. We'll know what they're about. <laughs> like just just ask the questions about those topics. So uh, the things we're going to be talking about, the A14 Bionic, the new iPad Air, and Apple Silicon as well. So that's going to be on our very next episode our of next Upgrade. Episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have some follow-up for you. Microsoft have begun beta testing via TestFlight, their trackpad support for Word and Excel. So this feels like a million years ago that the um, Magic Trackpad was announced, but it was March of this year. Um, and well, at the time, a lot, lot, lot has happened. Yeah. And it had started to happen at that point. It had. It um, had started to happen at that now point. Now a lot more has happened. But So this was something that Microsoft had promised in the fall, that they would be releasing Word and Excel uh, support for the trackpad. So I'm excited to try this out, but really I just want it to be in Google Docs and Google Sheets. Um, they did just add dark mode to Docs and Sheets, so <laughs> maybe next March we'll get, if we're lucky, uh, support for... Th- Honestly, like this feels more important as a feature to me than dark mode and multi-window for something like Sheets and Docs, like being able to actually do good text uh, selection, but yeah, you know, it, this is the problem. And the reason it took Microsoft this long, the reason Google haven't done it and they might do it and I hope they'll do it is like both of these applications use their own text rendering engines. So that's a right. lot of work, right? Like Apple were able to do the work and they'd started to do the work. Like remember iOS 13 came out and iPadOS 13, the text selection barely made any sense, right? What they'd done to it, like they made a bunch of changes and it just was way worse. It was because it was laying the groundwork for the far superior support that would come with trackpads. So Apple were working on it for a long time. It's going to take a long time for companies like Microsoft and Google to implement it properly with their own rendering engines. So So uh, I looked at these um, this morning. Yeah. And the Word one looks pretty good. Um, I'm, it, it, It's a good implementation. And I've tried Word on like the Surface on Windows and it's a little, and, and this feels more natural than that okay. um the excel implementation is pretty good but um the thing i've noticed about it is that one thing that microsoft at least hasn't done yet in their betas is custom cursors and oh. custom cursors are actually really important i think in excel where you get like the crosshairs yep instead of just the round finger circle thing and they haven't implemented that yet so like when i'm when i'm mousing over the a corner 
of a of a a cell i don't get the cursor that i expect to see that yep. that i see on the mac and i think that that's probably something that they need to do but uh every time i use excel on ipad like you i am reminded of how terrible google sheets and google docs are on the ipad yep it's a shame it's like they are the best at what they do in the sense of real-time collaboration but the applications are just bad they're real bad yeah you have reminded me of the WWDC sessions designed for the iPadOS pointer and build for the iPadOS pointer. So if you're fam- if you're unfamiliar with what Jason's talking about with custom cursors, just go watch these sessions because super good. They were so good, and yeah. they really kind of gave a good foundation for what it takes to to really implement the cursor well. Yeah, and developers don't need like the cir- the little dot, the little circle that we see on iPad cursors is a default. But mm-hmm. like as a developer, you can do a custom cursor whatever you want it to be like that's part of the beauty of the system that they built is that you can you can build a custom cursor uh for certain states in your app and i've seen some apps that do it and it and it makes sense and they and they they all kind of morph from one to the other like there's animations that happen and stuff that the system is doing but um anyway so that that part's missing from excel but i i would imagine that they probably will add that at some point to make it feel more like um more like uh more like excel more like real excel apple is reportedly working with both sony and microsoft to get apple tv the apple tv app and all of its tv plus content onto the next generation of games consoles so the xbox series x and s and the playstation 5 there is also according to some sources the possibility that there could be home kit support for the consoles mm. added as well which i would really like now this is you know this makes sense because we've seen apple do this right they want to be on all of the popular streaming uh platforms and the the games consoles are legit like you know like you see netflix and all these kinds of uh, video streaming apps on the consoles because for a lot of people they do become like a good um home theater type thing right and and especially uh the playstation because it's also a blu-ray player right so lots of people as well as wanting the games console functionality also use these as home entertainment devices but here's my question i wonder if this deal could do for microsoft what the amazon deal did for Amazon, which is, <laughs> could this open the door to actually make game streaming work the way that Microsoft wanted to work and not the way that Apple wanted to work? I doubt it, but you never know. It's big companies. This seems, Apple seems to have put a stake in the ground that like this is just how it has to work. Um, my guess is that they'll find some other areas where they can work together, and there's probably a benefit to having Apple's uh, entertainment stuff on Sony and Microsoft's consoles and you know, my my guess is not. My guess is it's more like what they already have, which is in-home streaming being supported mm. and allowed um, and maybe working better. But out of home, they seem to be putting, you know, their foot down and saying, no, we're not going to let you do this. I but it's something to watch. And I, I, and I think it's interesting that Apple has... Remember when we used to debate, would Apple TV Plus be available anywhere but Apple hardware? And we mm-hmm. thought probably, but it was like a risky question. And now, very clearly, Apple's strategy is that they want that tech everywhere. They really want Apple TV, the app, everywhere. Uh, plus, they want uh, AirPlay in as many places as they can put it. Plus, they seem to be thinking of HomeKit being able to run 
you know, I, I assume like a little mini HomeKit server on devices as a thing that they want to move out. So uh, what a change in approach. I know they've got new people in charge of the, the home stuff, especially in the last year or two. But uh, it's a real change from what kind of everybody thought Apple would probably do. Yeah, that the TV division is run so differently to the way that so much of Apple has been run in the past. You know, like every part of it, right? Like the fact that there's no secrecy in that division, right? Like right. the new projects are announced constantly without them having any say in the matter, um, right? Like it, they, they are open. Like the platform is as open as they can possibly make it in the sense that they want to get it everywhere and will do whatever it takes to do that. Um, it's very different. It is the right approach, but it's just a very counter approach to the way that we usually see th- the way that Apple does things. But this is them fitting into that world and doing it right. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace and create a website for your next idea or project. Squarespace gives you all of the tools that you need to make your next home online. They're an all-in-one platform that will let you take care of any website that you want to build. And they give you all of the tools right in the quote-unquote like web box. It's not a box, but like it's everything's in one package. It's all in one which is what I love about Squarespace. You can create an online store, a portfolio, a blog, a site for your business, a site for your band, a site for your restaurant events. No matter what type of website you want to make, Squarespace has all of the tools. They can give you the ability to register a unique domain name to give your website the brand that it needs. And also all of their templates are fantastic. They're award-winning. They look so good. They're so easy to customize. They really are like a first step for you to go and make that project work that you're looking for. I have been using Squarespace for over a decade at this point. Whenever I have an idea, I create a Squarespace website for it because it's so easy to do. And it just lets me get on with the thing that it is that I want to do. The website is like a platform. It's like a starting point for the thing that I'm trying to make. And I love that when I want to get a website started, I just go to squarespace.com, I sign up, I set up a new website, and then just customize it, and I'm done. And it's super easy to do, and I love it. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support, so if you need any help, they have a team of people on hand who can help you out. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can sign up for a trial with no credit card required. Just by going to squarespace.com slash upgrade, and then when you decide to sign up, you want to use the offer code UPGRADE. That will get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain while showing your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash upgrade and the code UPGRADE to get 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. As it tends to happen, Jason... Benchmarks uh-huh. for the new iPad Air, which as of right now has not been released to the nope. public, have been found <laughs> in hmm. Geekbench. Who did that? Um, can you explain people? a little bit about how this happens, like from your perspective? Well, like, how does you this can, occur? You, so somebody out there has an iPad Air, and it may even be somebody at Apple, or it could be somebody who's a reviewer, but I doubt it. Um, but somebody has one, and and there's Geekbench, or or it could be a fraud. But let's just assume it's real, because I think it generally is. Um, there are pre-production units that are out there, or in this case, maybe production but not released units. And you can run Geekbench scores, and you can submit them to the Geekbench database where they're browsable. You don't have to, but you can. And sometimes people do that accidentally. I uh, possibly possibly true it's a little different from when they see um 
uh, browser logs, right, on mm-hmm. web servers where the web server will, uh, you know, the, the browser will say, like, here's the version of software that I'm running. And it'll reveal, haha, the next version of macOS is now available inside Apple because we found five instances of it in our browser logs, right? Yeah. This is, you actually need to submit the data to Geekbench. But um, it it does happen uh, frequently that in the in advance of a product being released, you will see uh, an unknown device ID from Apple come with some numbers. And the, you know, the suggestion in this case is that this particular iPad that submitted these numbers seems um, almost certain to be the iPad Air. And of course, this one is particularly interesting because the A14 is the bent, like the base for Apple Silicon chips for the Mac as well, right? That is the expectation. Is this A14 Bionic chip is the benchmark? Well, not the benchmark, so like the the starting point for what we'll see in future iPads and iPad Pros in the next iPhones, and also as the starting point for what we could see in the Mac. That's why like all eyes have been on this. Remember you wrote that great post, which we spoke about during our uh, wonderful outgrade episode during the summer of fun, um, where we were in a lab talking about it. Now the scores themselves is 1583 single core and 4198 multi-core. That's the, the benchmark that has been found for the A14 Bionic. So I wanted to ask you, Jason, how does this stack up against your previous expectations it's actually higher. So I made a chart, and we'll put a link in the show notes to a, an article I did called Fun with Charts, entirely speculative charts about Apple Silicon. Mm-hmm. I did some extrapolation based on the pace of uh, of speed boost from A10 to 11 to 12 to 13, about what 14 would be. And this number is higher than my admittedly conservative guess about where Apple would go next. These numbers are higher. Uh, so that's good. It suggests that Apple is more than keeping pace with itself from generation to generation. I mean, and that's, again, like you were extrapolating out. I mean, that's kind of like not you're being realistic, but the fact that it has achieved that is very promising. So the A13 well, Bionic scored in at 1336 and 3569. Um, so I wonder a little bit, because we were talking about this after the announcement, you know, the way that Apple kind of showed off the A14 is they made comparisons to the previous iPad and not the A13 chip. So they were comparing, I think, the A14 to the A12 because they were showing it off alongside the new iPad Air. Exactly. Do you think that Apple may have buried the lead a little on this chip? Well, I, I mean... In the sense that a dog buries a bone or a squirrel buries a nut, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, purposefully, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's great that we're going to have some people from Apple on to talk about it. I will tell you from conversations that I've had previously when they announced this thing that they are real on message. And they, I, I everybody out there who wants to submit a question asking about a future product, good luck. They're not going to answer that. So we probably won't even ask it. But no. um, they are focused on the iPad, because I think that they're saving some of the powder for the iPhone, right? I, I really believe that they want to have some A14 boasting when they launch the new iPhones. And they can't do that if they use all of that boasting on the iPad. Yeah. And I don't think the iPad was meant to be 
a month before the iPhone. I think it was meant to be simultaneous with the iPhone. So um, there's more there's more to be done here. We also don't know what an A14X or Z, however they want to brand it, iPad version of this would be. Um, nor do we know whether there is a Mac configuration based on this same technology and what it might look up look like. But that was what my story was um, uh, back a while ago, back in July, about um, the speculation based on this. And and at that time, I I very immediately said, "Wow, uh, a theoretical multi-core A14 version running on a Mac." might actually be like faster than the fastest iMacs, which is really interesting for an Apple Silicon Mac. So um, it doesn't, it's all speculation, but at the same time, like these numbers fit that speculation. I think it shows that our speculation about all of this was not wild speculation and that Apple hasn't done, you know, it could have been possible that the A14 came out and was like, well, it's okay, right? It's fine, but it, it really isn't as it, continuing Apple's pace of speed boosts to these processors per generation. And that's not the case. So Steve Trouton-Smith uh, was tweeting about this over the weekend, and I had a couple of quotes from him that I, I thought were interesting to discuss. Uh, one is, I personally expect even the thinnest and lightest devices to be out almost all of the 2020 iMac lineup in performance and push very close to the high-end i7 and i9. So Steve is, is very optimistic based on this, right? Based on these results of like, well, this is just what this A14 chip is doing in an iPad Air and it's got these kinds of numbers. So... Yeah. I think Steve is, is quite optimistic for what this could be like in a Mac yeah. and, and doing what we think. Because like even if they just go for the basic version, which we're expecting, you know, like a MacBook or whatever, that it could end up being much more powerful than most of the stuff that Apple's providing today. I really enjoyed seeing Steve's Twitter thread about this because I felt like it was he was making the same kind of uh, extrapolations that I was making as guesswork in July, but mm-hmm. making them based on that Geekbench score. Yeah. And it's it's fun. I mean, Mike, ever since the announcement in June about Apple Silicon, I feel like it just keeps building. Like, m- the anticipation and, like, my optimism, my excitement for what they're going to be able to do just keeps growing. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. it's it's the more you see of this... now. Steve Tron Smith makes the point that um, we don't know the graphics story. Yeah. Because, you know, the A14, we don't, we, I don't think we know a graphics score for the A14, but of course the A14X would have more graphics cores and a Mac would presumably have more graphics cores. So we, we have to see like what that side of it is. But it's just, it's really interesting that, um, that now when we, <laughs> Think about this. Now that we see the A14 for the first time, instead of saying, oh, well, what does this mean for iPad performance in the future? Now we say, oh, what does this mean for iPad and Mac performance in the future? Because I I think the assumption is that whether they call it A14 or M14 or A14M or whatever they do, or whether they brand it as something totally different, that the next, the Apple Silicon Mac processors will probably be based on the A14 architecture in some way, even if they don't name it that. Um, and this is 
th- these numbers, if they're real, not only are do they kind of match and slightly exceed kind of what you'd expect, but they're really good. Like that's the other part of it is that they're really, really good. If you put this in a Mac because of the pace of Intel's uh, speed boost, it, it starts to look really good purely from a speed perspective and like leaving aside the fact that this also brings lots of energy savings which means better battery life for for laptops so talking about the graphics steve gives some numbers that are interesting so he says that apple has to get from a nine thousand or so metal compute score which is in the a12x um that's like uh the the chips that would the previous chips say it's yeah the ipad pro um 2018 the seven core yeah. iPad Pro. Wait, is that the X or Z though? Well, the 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 Z is this year's eight core. Ah, uh, yes. The the yeah. X is the previous the seven, seven core. core. Yeah. So it's a little bit weaker on on graphics, but still, the point there is that that's about a nine thousand score, and the top end iMac today has a thirty eight thousand seven hundred and eighty nine <laughs> from a yeah. Radeon Pro fifty five hundred XT. So we look at the G, at the uh, single processor and multiprocessor and like, wow, Apple's got it in the bag. But as Steve quite rightly points out, um, the big wild card is graphics. It is because we need to see like the the graphics scores, the graphics power that a Mac can have up in the high end, not on like a low end laptop with integrated graphics, is um, pretty far out of what we've seen from Apple. And the thing that we really just don't know yet, I mean, we, there's, you can have a theory on every side is what is the graphics story for now? Do they just work with the existing cards? Like, will you still use an AMD Radeon Pro in there? Or will it be an Apple-made graphics chip? Right. And I think going into the future, smart money would be on the fact that Apple will just have their own graphics, whether it's integrated into the A-series or they have a a separate graphics chip that goes into these machines, which is customizable. Or if they do continue, you know, that seems like the smart money in the future. But in the in the near term, they may want to have other options. They might want to have multiple options if, you know, like being able to work with the existing cards for optimization reasons. That's the thing we don't know. The speculation that Steve Tran-Smith makes is, um, you know, quadruple the cores. And that may be it. Like, yep. it, the answer may be that whenever they do release a higher-end Mac... Uh, maybe not an initial release with lower end models, but if they release a higher end Mac, maybe that chip has an external um, graphics card. Maybe that chip has 24 cores mm-hmm. on its graphics, uh, on its GPU, and it uses them dynamically and it only, you know, really p- powers them when it absolutely needs to for for heat reasons and power reasons. But like they could do that, they could build a high end chip based on this that had. Uh, 20 cores or 24 cores of uh, graphics if they if they wanted to scale it up that way and it could scale pretty much that way in order to to make this work so that'll be kind of fascinating to see so we were talking about the a12z before which is what's in the 2020 ipad pro right and saying that it was very likely that it would still be faster it is, but not by much, and only in multi-core. So the single-core score was 1118 compared to 1583, and the multi-core uh, score on the A12Z is four, 4564, so 4,564 compared to 4,198. So it's, it's close. Yeah, the you know my extrapolation was that an an A14X that scaled the way that the A from the A12, sort of the way that this again just trying to follow the line. 
you know, that A14X, so just a, or Z, whatever you want to say, but like a seven, eight core, you know, more processor cores, all, all of that stuff going into it would be faster than the 16 inch MacBook Pro and with eight cores and would be just a little bit slower than that fastest iMac, the eight core iMac. And that's the iPad chip. Um, and that's what they've, that, you know, the A14 scores don't do anything to make me think otherwise. And then if you imagine a Mac chip that had more cores and mm-hmm. more GPU cores too, but more cores, processor cores, it wouldn't take that many more to make a Mac that's faster than the fastest iMac. And that basically means that the only Macs it would be slower than, it's fairly easy, I think, for a Mac-based chip based on the A14 to be faster than anything except Apple's highest-end Xeon-based computers. So basically the Mac Pro and the uh, iMac Pro at the highest end, which is amazing, right? Like, that's amazing. That That's Apple reaching way higher up than um, I think any of us expected them to be able to at the beginning of this transition. That's what they said, two-year transition. And we're like, well, in a couple of years, they'll be able to reach up there. I think with this A14 generation... If they want to, it depends on what they want to do in terms of a Mac-focused processor based on this generation. But depending on what they want to do, they have reach to make Macs that are um, faster. They can make iMacs and laptops that are faster than any existing iMacs and laptops. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think that's goal number one for the first Apple Silicon Macs. They need to show that that this is the right move and speed is an easy way to show it's the right move. You know, everything else is is beneficial and beneficial in the long term. You know, like energy savings and that kind of stuff. Like you'll get some anyway and they can optimize for that later. But they need to show that this is the right move for people to get their work done, no matter what it is. And if they release these chips and even if they have greater battery life but they're slower, like that's gonna be the the, the, the news right like you want to make sure that you can provide something yeah. which you can show like hey we've been held back and now we're you know we're going for it we're, we're shooting yeah for this is this is the thing that we've talked about a few times here which is apple's pride yep apple is so proud of these chips and i'm sure we'll hear it in our next episode right they're so proud of what they've done with apple silicon and they should be like on the on the phone side, they've basically lapped the competition. It's amazing how far ahead they are. Um, there's no way that Apple is going to do a chip transition to their own processors that makes them look bad. Mm-hmm. The only way they're going to do it is if they know that they can look good and they're confident that they can look good. And in fact, I again, looking at the numbers and imagining them building chips with more cores for the iPad, as they've always done, and even more cores for the Mac, which I think they probably will do, especially on the higher end, um, they're not going to even need to exert a whole lot of effort to get there. But I will say that if they're planning, you know, and again, this would have happened a year ago probably, but uh, planning what these chips are going to be as a part of this transition. And they're like, well, we could do this and we'll be about par with what Intel has, or we could do this and it'll be more expensive, but we'll, it'll really put Intel to shame. I, I firmly believe that the decision would be to put Intel to shame, right? Even mm-hmm. if it means uh, pushing it a little harder than they would, and maybe even if it means that 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 the next year 
or the next processor generation, they back off a little bit and the improvements aren't quite as great. If you're following me here, like to make a splash, to make the effort and make the tech decisions to put Intel to shame, I got to think that that is part of this strategy, right? Like, why would you go out with this thing that you built that shows your superiority and makes your platform better at a moment when you couldn't? Like, it doesn't make any sense. They they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't do this until they were ready to really say, Apple Silicon is not uh, a compromise in order for us to take this in-house. Apple Silicon is us doing you a favor by making the Mac better. Like, they they would not be doing this if that wasn't going to happen. And so it absolutely is going to happen. I'm just kind of curious about exactly how and in what way. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by KiwiCo. Your family has adapted to so much change this year, and with some creative problem solving, you, I bet you've discovered some new ways to tackle life's day today. This Halloween's going to look a little different, but the treats don't have to stop at candy. With a KiwiCo hands-on science and art project, your little ghouls won't have a chance to be bored. Instead, they'll be inspired by KiwiCo's seriously fun and innovative creative problem-solving crates that are delivered right to your door every month. KiwiCo crates encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they'll be able to build and accomplish with KiwiCo. is something where you'll be able to see their confidence grow. They have different crates for kids of all ages. It's something for every kid on your list, even for those that are just kids at heart. They have the Panda crate for ages 0-2 to 2, all the way up to the Eureka crate for ages 14 to 104. There's no commitment. You can pause or cancel at any time time jason i believe a kiwi co-crate has been sent to the snail household yeah we got one it was a while ago now my son is um 16 and so on the more advanced side but we got an advanced crate and uh they're it's adorable like you know it's got so they have stuff for all sorts of different ages and for us we got the more advanced one and and we made a little like a walking robot-y guy Mm -hmm. and uh it's pretty cool yeah i mean it's just i i like the fact that it gives you a defined project and you can carve out some time like on the weekend and say, let's make this thing. And then you can choose what you want your, you know, your level to be. And you know your kids, right? So that if it's, or yourself, <laughs> you yeah. want to put something together. <laughs> and they've got all those different levels, which I, I think is uh, is part of the secret sauce here is that you can get an idea of sort of what your kid is going to be challenged and excited by. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. You can get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate with the code UPGRADE at KiwiCo.com. That's 30% off your first month at KiwiCo.com and the promo code UPGRADE. Our thanks to KiwiCo for their support of this show and Relay FM. So last month, Mark Gurman wrote a story in Bloomberg talking about what the future of Apple leadership may look like. I think this story went a little bit under the radar because it was it occurred, I think, the Friday before the Apple event. So I saw it. I liked the look of it. I saved it. And now I wanted to talk about it because I think this is this feels pretty unprecedented to me. I, I don't know if I've ever seen an article like this before, naming a lot of people inside of Apple that I've not heard of before. Um, and I thought that, that was pretty interesting as a thing um, yeah. to, to have you, a have vision on. I uh, I enjoyed this story. I did laugh about it because I I can just see the assigning memo or conversation from whoever Mark Gurman's editor is saying, "Mark, 
I want a story. You write about Apple. You know about Apple. <laughs> I want a story about succession. Like, okay, like Tim, for Tim Cook. Nah, for every, everybody. <laughs> Go through the list and just uh, give me names of uh, everybody at Apple. And so this this article is, f- it, it's good, but at moments it's absurd because it really feels like they're just, you know, he went down and he's got great contacts, so he gets names and stuff. It's very impressive. Yeah. And what people think, and, and it's sort of like the people he talked to, what they think the the conventional wisdom is about who is, you know, who would step up to replace somebody if they left Apple and uh but it does also feel like he literally went through the the list the executive list on the web page and then um got a name or, for or the editor did and said i want a paragraph about every one of these people <laughs> and mark kerman's like all right okay i can do that and he can do it and he did it and he did a good job but i did i find the premise a little bit funny because in some of them it feels a little like a teacher gives you an assignment and and you realize that they've made a mistake and that some of the parts of the assignment are are dumb and you shouldn't yeah. do them like the, when he gets to retail and he Kinda talks about up. like they literally made a change at retail and put Deidre O'Brien in charge. And he's like, really, there's nothing to say here. Uh, <laughs> like, there are people. Right? Like at the, and there that could one be people from outside. Like, there are people that are good <clears throat> at the bottom. Inside. Like, yeah. Maybe. Like, uh, but I think it's also the problem is that. Um, so the premise is really great. And I think Mark makes it. So I'm not trying to pick on Mark here. I think Mark is a pro and he does a great job. I can see, I can see where he was asked to do stuff where he's like, all right, fine. Um, but that's, that's the job when your editor tells you to do something. He, he, he makes a great case at the top of this article, which is uh, something we've talked about here too. And I know other Apple focused podcasts have talked about it, which is these people, a lot of these people have been at Apple a long time. They have made a lot of money. They have made even more money in stock. And, they don't need to work anymore. Like they don't, it mean doesn't mean they don't want to work because a lot of these people are, are true believers or are Apple lifers and they, they care about it. And they like, I think Phil Schiller is like that. Even when he steps back, he doesn't really step back. Right. Because he's just too into it. I think Greg Joswiak is actually kind of like that. He's been there for 30 years now, I think 25 years. It was his first job, I think out of school and he's still there. Like he, he, and he's a pro, um, like, but I think the premise is still true that like, as much as you love something, if you have, um, proverbial, re- let's, call it, let's call it retirement money, <laughs> um, you could just leave, right? You're working hard at a super intense, you could just leave and buy a, a, a house on the top of a private Island and go on with your life. Um, and, and. So it's worth talking about because even if they're not near retirement age, it doesn't mean that they won't leave and you do need to know who comes next. So like the, I think the framing for this began at the fact that Tim Cook, because he's done his decade now um, leading for Apple, which is bananas to think it's been that amount of time. Uh, but so of course there is a succession plan in place for him. I mean, considering Apple's history... I'm sure that this has been a thing since the beginning yeah. for them. No, no one knows better the importance of succession planning than Tim Cook, right? Yeah, because there are many went, companies that have had to deal with what Apple had to deal with in losing Steve Jobs, like way before his time, right? Um, you know, they are they are quite, I'm sure, positioned to want to consider this always for most of their important people. Um, and apparently, as well, the current leadership team at Apple has made this a priority. 
Uh, and I expect, again, like Ive and Schiller leaving, I'm sure has only served to highlight this for them, right? Like that this is a thing yeah. that they need to be constantly thinking of. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's just, it's a real issue that they have to deal with. And it's unique in the sense that it's not about stealing people away from the competitors or having their people be stolen away from the competitors. It's about their success <laughs> making them, uh, if not complacent, Right, like making making it easy for people to just leave because they aren't interested anymore. And like that's a brain drain of a different kind and it's kind of a good problem to have, but it's still a problem and you still gotta have people um you wanna step up. And then also I will I will say the truth of it is that sometimes they wanna stay and but they also don't want to work as hard. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they got all the money. And they're, they're, they, you know, they're getting older. And as a, uh, as a manager or an executive, I think you do have to look at that and say, you know, below a certain level of work from you, you should just become an Apple fellow. And I'm not saying that happened to Phil Schiller, but like, it may right? have just been the case of like, well, probably what did happen for Schiller is like, look, I don't want to stop because I love this job and I love this company, but I no longer need to or want to deal with all of it. Yeah, to do all of the things that you want from this position, and and I think that that's n- n- that's not unreasonable from any perspective. And Jonathan Ive was an example where he wasn't coming into work, and then he was like he was in San Francisco or he was in London and all that, and they did it for a while and then they dropped it. So I think that that's another part of it. If you're Tim Cook, which is if I need super focused leadership in this area, and this great person who's been here forever doesn't want to do it because they they don't have that much to give anymore, then I need to find a way to move them out. And either find them a reduced thing to do or just tell them it's time for them to step aside and let their and let their deputy or another management thing you could do if you're Tim Cook uh, or any other senior manager is you go to the person and say, hey, um, this is what I'm thinking, which is you're great and you do a great job and you've been here a long time, but you got all the money and, you know, and you're and you're getting to an age where you probably are thinking about retiring. And I need I need your your a big part of your job from now on is building up your uh, subordinates, building up your direct reports to take your job from you because you're not going to be here forever. Just like I'm not going to be here forever. And I feel like we're getting closer to that point. And so uh, if you are feeling more, um, you know, like you don't want to, you don't want to give 200%, continue giving 200% to Apple. uh, I get it this is where we need to go next is you need to start handing things off to these people, watch them step up, tell us who can be your replacement and we'll start that process because you will leave at some point and we want these people, right? It's, you know, and you can couch it in different ways, but it's basically like, look, you're great, but you're not going to be here forever and you could quit whenever you want now and buy that island and build that house. So what I need you to do is, is, is have your people step up. I watched... The Death of Stalin last night, which is a really good movie, by <laughs> like the way. Like everybody has been the past few days. Well, right. I mean, there is that scene with all the doctors that they... Re- they it's amazing. Anyway, uh, I had to. I was like, let's watch The Death of Stalin. And my wife is like, why? I'm like, well, you'll see. Um, but one of the big stories in The Death of Stalin, and it's a funny movie, um, is is uh, if there was ever someone who didn't do succession planning, it's Joseph Stalin, right? Cult of personality. It's just me. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I was thinking about it just in those terms, which is, 
um, you can't do that, right? Like, and Tim Cook knows this. Like, I'm sure in the early days when Steve Jobs came back, there was no succession planning happening. Uh, and then there comes a moment, and I think in in Jobs's case, because he survived so long with pancreatic cancer, right, the, uh, an unusual length of time, that uh, they had time to consider the mortality of their leader and figure out what to do. But I do think that that's probably imprinted on Tim Cook. And it's important for any, I mean, I will, always was taught in every management course I ever took that part of your job is to develop your your people so they can do your job. And the argument is not so they can do your job so they can replace you, which is sort of the Stalin argument, right? Which is, no, uh, I need everybody dependent on me so that nobody re- nobody replaces me in a coup. Um, but as a, as a manager, ideally, you want to advance and grow and change. And the only way you can do that is by having your people be brought up and and a good organizational structure values managers who grow their people like they 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 see that as an asset like we can promote you and put you on something else because you cultivate good people in your group who then go on to be contributors like that's how it all works so anyway I I am not to not to go get too far off of Mark Gurman, but like that's what I think is important about this kind of story is that any of these people could leave at any time, and the question is who are they cultivating, and you know there are some great answers where it's like this looks like a person who's ready to go, and there are other answers where it's like that's a that's one to watch. So let's start digging into this a little bit. Um, obviously, we'll start at the very top. We'll start with Tim. So the the succession planning for the CEO, all signs point to Jeff Williams and have done for a while. So Jeff Williams had been running operations for quite a while, so coming from a very from the exact same background as Tim, um, and then took over development of health and watch the Apple Watch in 2013. Right. And last year gained oversight of all software and hardware. So he kind of seems very much like how Cook was to Jobs, really. Um, in like taking a lot of the roles that had previously been seen as the Apple CEO or a CEO's job, right? So like picking up a lot of quite large oversight in large areas. So everyone's always thought, yep, Williams, definitely CEO. But Williams and Cook are the same age. So if Cook wants to keep going, Williams might not get the chance. This reminds me right. quite a lot of the British royal family. Uh, bear with me here. Uh, the queen clearly got it. <laughs> does not want to go away. Yeah, and so Prince Charles, I believe personally, may never get the chance to be king because I think that there is a strong possibility of it just going straight to our like full royal family. Um, so looking at uh, Prince William. And, yeah. and and Kate, Catherine, and their yeah. whole, their whole unit. I can and, call her Kate because I don't I don't care. But yeah, the, the the idea there is that Charles, if if Charles takes over as king, it will be he will be so old at this point yep. that it will be a brief reign, yep. right? Presumably, even mm-hmm. though they've got some great genes, boy, they just keep on living. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, I I see your point too, and and that's actually one of the things in this that that I thought was a weird part of the story, which is like. You could read it as being like the obviousness of succession planning that everybody's going to need to get out of there. But I look at Tim Cook and I don't think he's angling for the door, right? Mm-mm. Like I look at Tim Cook and think that guy thinks he's got the best job in the world, right? Yep. And and so it's always good to have somebody in waiting. But I think the truth of the matter is that an exec in waiting either 
is super happy with their job and willing to be in waiting or will after a certain amount of time they kind of have an expiration date and they go somewhere else to be ceo and um an example from recent history is disney right where Bob Iger decided to step down and he chose one of his lieutenants to be the new CEO and the other guy who had launched Disney Plus left to go to uh, TikTok. Mm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was a bad choice, but uh, but you see the point there. And so so Jeff Williams, like, it's always good to have a vice president <laughs> who <laughs> can step in in case something happens to the president. Yep. But uh, a lot of times the, nothing happens to the president and the vice president just is around. And that's not a great job, but it happens. I think there are people that come up throughout this conversation who could step into this role. Um, but Williams really seems to be kind of like the person there if something did happen to Tim Cook. Jeff sure. Williams would be the person to pick up the mantle. Exactly. But it does seem like there are many people throughout the organization that could that could take the reins. I will just say like... One potential, I think, could be Craig Federighi if he decided, or if it was decided, it was something that he wanted to do purely mm. from the, like the 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 kind of jobs idea of the creative person being a CEO. Um, it does seem like at least that Federighi has so much responsibility at Apple that maybe, but I I doubt it, but maybe. So the, the next kind of roll down, which actually I think makes a lot of sense at Apple, is marketing. So uh, Jaws has just been put in place. In fact, Jaws has just got uh, his his place on the Apple leadership page in the last yeah, few days. You made it to the web page. So it's official. Job done. Yep. Uh, Greg Jaws Jawsweak is what it says on the yes. page. I think it's very funny. Um, nice. And uh, Phil Schiller is actually still listed on the page, but at the very, 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 very bottom, yeah, <laughs> underneath the, the line, all the way down. He's in the fellow zone. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the person most likely to take Jaws' role is Kyan Drance, who was recently appointed as the vice president of iPhone marketing. I think you're going to you, are you going to see this? We're going to talk about this throughout the entire conversation today. Anybody that seems to be someone who may take a leadership role is given the iPhone role. Like, there are so many people that we're going to talk about that, mm-hmm. like, that that are important. You're given the iPhone because you're effectively given the keys to the kingdom. And if you can run the iPhone, you can run anything because it's the business, right? It's all of it. You know, like so much of the business is driven by the iPhone that if you can run the iPhone part of the business successfully, that is a very good indicator for you being able to run the whole kit and caboodle, right? And so, yeah, yeah. it's the most important business unit and it's not a unit, but it's the most important what product line at Apple, if you want to call it that. Um, And we have seen Kyan Drance in a bunch of stuff. And, you know, what we see from the outside is not... Uh, what the details are on the inside. And no. so there's, you know, reading into the black box. That's the, that's the value of Mark Gurman talking to people inside Apple, right? Because they have internal perceptions that we don't have. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think this is really cool. It's also funny for a lot of us and cool for a lot of us on the outside because uh, we know her husband. <laughs> her husband is Matt Trance. <laughs> so, oh, I hadn't put two and two together. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's been in in and out of Apple and I've I've seen and met a bunch of times and it's just mm. kind of funny. But um and uh but so first time she appeared on Apple stage, it was like <gasps> and and now she's uh you know, she's a mover and shaker at Apple. That's awesome. 
So that's great. Yeah, there are some of these people, quite a few of these people recently that we have been seeing in presentations, but we don't get the context a lot of the time yeah, for like how important exactly. they are. And so this is useful for that. Stan Ng, who runs Watch, has been around since the 90s, is also somebody considered important in this area. And Susan Prescott, who we've also seen on stage recently, runs sure. Apps and Enterprise. These are also considered potential yeah. uh, kind of candidates to take but, over the world. But also, role. Jaws literally just took the job. And although he's three years younger than, than Phil Schiller, like... He's going to he, want a tenure, right? He's, like, yeah. Exactly. So this is this is one of those where it's like, well, yeah, I mean, here's some people who might be up-and-comers. It's like like uh, uh, in sports, I'm going to use a baseball example, but like Thank there you. are minor leaguers who are mm-hmm. like prospects, and you have 15 of them, and two of them will end up becoming major leaguers. It's a little like that where there's like there's a bunch of prospects, and that's great. But the, the horizon here, the time horizon here is such that, um, you know, it's going to be a while probably before any of them would need to step up. So moving to software engineering, turns out that at 51, Craig Federighi is Apple's youngest executive. On he the is page. a young, young man. And I Didn't say that, that as somebody who is only slightly younger than him. It's Jason's birthday tomorrow. It's true. October it's 6th true. is Jason's birthday. So wish it's Jason true. a happy birthday. Everybody. Don't do no. I, I accept all of your happy birthdays. Uh, and let's just say it's a special birthday for Jason Snell. So make sure to give him It is a milestone birthday for me. It's true. 30. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, so also, I think Craig has been around for a while, but not as long as some of the other people in the roles. Like you look at someone like Eddie Q. You know, I feel like Eddie's been there forever. Um, and, you know, Federico mentioned is like, seems quite important. Uh, Apple, but there's a Sebastian Marinume, I'm going to say. There are names I'm definitely going to. I've tried to learn some of these names out of Sam yes. properly, and I'm, I'm French, going to French butcher words. some of them. Uh, it's a vice president of intelligent systems experience, which I don't even know what that job title means. And John Andrews, who was named vice president in charge of the core OS last year, as seen by people close to Apple, is most likely to be promoted, quote, if necessary. I think this is a role where one of the roles here where it's like they don't have anybody else other than Federighi that they will put in charge because they don't want to make any change. Um, yeah. So uh, moving to services, Peter Stern is currently at the top of the list to take this role from Eddie Q. Stern currently oversees the business side of TV Plus as well as leading news, books, and iCloud. Stern feels very close to uh, moving in here, to be honest. Um, uh, Eddie Q would be fairly high up on my list of people who seem pretty, seem to have out. done a pretty good job. And well, I mean, we we can't tell how serious or checked out Eddie Q is at all. Like I th- uh, I th- from the we outside, spoke about this quite a while ago on an episode of Connected, where I think Q is seen, and and I'm poking fun at him, and I, I shouldn't, but he's seen as someone who who maybe isn't that important, but. In doing some research about him a while ago, it is seen by many and written in books and stuff that Q is, if you need a deal done, Q does the deal. That's right. And that Uh is an important person to have. And this is going all the way back to Jobs this time. Yeah, that's how he has gotten where he is. I'm more saying that Eddie Q seems like a guy who's been at Apple a long time, who has a lot of money and enjoys having fun and enjoys Ferraris, life, right? I think is, is, right. is Ca- Yeah, yeah. So so he's on the, what, board of Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, we see him at basketball games back when they had people at basketball games, which they don't anymore. Um, 
And and I only, I mean, and again, that's all surface stuff, but I walk away from that thinking that's the kind of guy who would choose at some point probably to walk away and say, you know what? I enjoy life and I've got enough money to enjoy it for the rest of my life. So I'm going to walk away now. I, that And again, that's just tea leaf reading. It's apple chromonology, but to get it back to Stalin. Uh, but like, that's honestly, I think that. I think that having money and the ability to enjoy life is the biggest threat Apple poses or Apple uh, faces for losing its executives, right? I mean, that's the truth of it is if you've got all the money you can imagine you could possibly spend and you can come imagine what life is like, and this is the key, imagine what life is like when you don't have a super intense job at Apple every day, then you're a candidate to get out of there. I do think that there are certain people at Apple because there are certain people in all of life who cannot imagine not working in that intense climate, mm-hmm. right? That's how you get there. there. Are work, you, you got a, yeah, you got to be commended and a workaholic or whatever. And you hear those stories about they're the people who like golf, the retirees who like golf every day. And they do it because they need something to focus their energy and their, and their, their mind on. And I totally get it, right? So, but... Anyway, when I think about Eddie Q, I do think about like, think of all the basketball games he could go to and all the concerts he could go to and like all the places he could drive a Ferrari if he didn't have his job anymore. And I think like at some point, don't you make that decision? Like, don't you say I have conquered everything and I'm going to go drive my Ferrari into the sunset now? And, you know, like this one, uh, when, when looking at Stern, it kind of seems like he's running a lot of what we thought Eddie was running. You know, like at least the day-to-day. So like looking at all of the business side of TV Plus, news books and iCloud, like it's pretty much Eddie Q's division. And like, I yeah. mean, and this is, I'm sure this is the case for many of the executives. It's like they have a division that they oversee, but it's run by many other people. But it seems like Stern has his hands in a lot of this. So. All right. Operations. Sabine Khan is currently in charge of this division. Khan took over from Williams when Williams moved into being more of an oversight role uh, last year. So again, year. we've just we've just had the person step yep. up into the role. Um, but Priya Balasubramaniam is the head of operations for the iPhone. Again, would most likely to be the person taking over here yeah. because the iPhone operations are the operations. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> everything I, else I like- is okay. I, and this is one of those cases where it feels like it's a job that just got filled, so it's not a big deal. But I enjoyed this specifically because I didn't know about Priya Bella Supermanian, mm-hmm. and uh, she sounds super awesome and yep. important. Listen and I had never heard of her before, so that <laughs> was great. Like, because there's this whole story about mm-hmm. like the facial recognition sensor was broken, and and at South Korea, yep. and she had to like go and like fix what the challenges were, and like I love a story like that, right? Like those are those are the kind of stories that that operations people. Uh, tell, which is like they came, they went in there and they fixed it and we shipped it, right? It's like yay, hooray! So that was uh, that was cool to hear about uh, somebody I had not heard about before who seems to be very impressive inside Apple operations. Yeah, you can imagine that doing something like making sure the iPhone 10 shipped on time, otherwise it wouldn't have. have you can imagine why this story is told because clearly Priya Balasubramaniam is considered inside of Apple as like a person who gets it done, right? Which is like that's the type of like uh, in these types of environments you want to be seen as that person yeah. in a corporate environment. Oh yeah, Priya, she gets it done. She but gets like, it done. And, and, she's, like, and she's forty six, right? So she's also right. an example of real up and coming 
um, relatively young in terms of Apple's executive ranks. And uh, being responsible for shipping probably Apple's second most important iPhone ever after the first yeah. one on time. And, and, and important. most important product period, right? Like mm-hmm. in terms of Apple's money <laughs> that's coming in. That's yeah. a that's a sign. Yes, as you said, it's a great sign of confidence in you as an Apple worker <laughs> that you're involved in important parts of the yeah. iPhone, right? Like, look, again, like... <laughs> we're talking about people here that by and large are very hungry, very focused. Everyone wants iPhone. Right, there are lots of exciting and interesting jobs to work on at Apple. I'm sure, and and depending on the type of person you are, you may want a specific thing, right? But if you are someone who wants to get ahead there, I am sure you want to have some involvement in the iPhone line because that's where the focus is, right? And if that's what you want, I'm sure that you want to be in that stream somewhere. Hardware engineering. This one was really interesting to me. So John Turnus is currently expected to be in line to take over uh, from, is it Dan Riccio? Riccio, yeah. Yeah. Google Docs did a horrific autocorrect uh, on me here, which is why I confused myself. Um, Turnus has been appearing more and more on stage and in interviews over the last couple of years. Um, so he does a lot of the presentations around Mac and iPad because that's what he's running, but he actually comes on stage and does the presentations. And a quote from the article says, a person who knows Turnus called him a well-respected manager who understands the technology and despite his rising profile has remained unassuming. All characteristics of a potential future division head or even CEO. Now I would say from seeing John Turner speak and hearing John Turner speak, I could imagine him as a leader of Apple. Like, he gives that kind of feeling, right? Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. And again, behind what's fascinating is that behind the scenes, we've seen his profile rise in, you know, on stage, but behind the scenes, it's interesting to hear how highly he's, uh, he's thought of. That, mm-hmm. that means a lot. Hardware Technologies, this is where it starts to fall apart, currently run by Johnny Sruji. There's not many people that are said to be uh, seen as having the, quote, clout to run such a demanding division. So there isn't anyone. Uh, Sribalan Santhanam is currently the person most likely to step up. I mean, again, purely because I think we've seen Santhanam recently as part of the Apple Silicon introduction in this division as an important person, but it seems like Sruji is like well-embedded in this division, uh, which is, and we already mentioned it, the same for the retail and HR, is that Deirdre O'Brien's role is solidified here. It is still expected, as I think continues to make sense, that eventually they should separate these two divisions again. Um, but maybe there there is something to be said right now for, during COVID-19 to having this all run by one person, and it ended up just being lucky for Apple, really, that they ended up putting one person in charge of a role that would have an awful lot of interconnection right now, um, that retail, being like Apple's front line, needs a lot of human resource now, maybe more than it's needed, as like transitioning these employees to different roles inside of the company. Um, but yes, this is a role that nobody is, is, has been specified for. So I wanted right. to make like an overall point here where the diversity of the people that are being suggested as taking over roles is far different and better than what we have seen currently inside of Apple's leadership. So lots of non-white men, right, uh, that are being 
put in line, it seems, for future top roles, which is fantastic. It's great to see that. And I think is something to be said for the efforts that Apple have been saying they've been pushing on. But the key is to keep them. Because yeah. how long do these people have to wait? Because uh-huh. if you have someone in these roles who is like is a woman, is a non-white person, how long are they going to need to wait before they're going to either leave or going to be poached by somebody else to run a company somewhere else? Right. Like the danger is the, the only problem. people who stay who are the, who are the people who are Apple lifers who've been there for a very very long time, which means that they're older mm-hmm. and that the younger up and coming talented people like they need advancement in their careers. And if they don't get it, I mean, and Apple, I'm sure can afford to pay them whatever they need to pay them to make them stay. But ultimately it's not all about that. that. And if Google or Facebook or, you know, Microsoft or whoever has a more senior role for them, they will lose them. And I, and this brings me back to what I was saying earlier about if you're Tim Cook, one of the things you need to do is be paying attention to, the long time people on your team who have lots of money and lots of stock and have been at Apple a very long time and are getting up there in age where maybe uh, they're thinking about, you know, retirement or easing back and all of that. And you have to look at that and think about the people that you're going to lose. Like you could have a senior executive who's happy as a clam and they're doing their job that they've always done and they're fine. But you know, as Tim, uh, you know, maybe that's the conversation Tim Cook has to have, which is basically like, we're going to lose this person and you got all the money. <laughs> so uh, at some point you have to make decisions like that, where it's not like, I'm not firing you. In fact, you could be, uh, again, I don't know the facts about Phil Schiller, but like, it's a good example of, I'm not firing you. You can still be part of this and you can still do stuff. But like, I need to bring up your, your lieutenants or I'm going to lose them. And then we got nothing because you don't, and this is part of my sales pitch to this imaginary Apple exec, you don't want to have to start from scratch at training a new generation of people to replace you because you did too good a job at this and they all left because you you wouldn't leave. Mm-hmm. So like, I think that this is, this is um, a great challenge for Tim Cook and a great challenge for Apple is how do you keep this great well of talent that's up and coming how do you keep them advancing if you have this group of people who've been at apple since the 90s and have been on this ride where apple has gone from being almost dead to being uh on top at some point you have to start having all of those people you know you play the victory music and you have them exit and they go out into the world and and become philanthropists or uh, drive around in their fancy cars or whatever they want to do because not because they're doing a bad job, but because they're now standing in the way of the next generation of people. And it's, it's probably worse to have a brain drain at that second level, right? Because then you've got a person who's been there forever who now is connecting with people who are way younger than them and way less experienced at Apple. And maybe they're kind of like easing off on how intense they are about working and they have to train in another group that um, they already mentored this group. And, and that mentorship is now providing value to one of your competitors. It's a, it's tough, right? It's a, it's a tough thing. So I like seeing the, these, these people in these places, but like, that's part of the, the challenge here is how do you keep those people who um, are really great um, and have a, a potential big uh, 
trajectory ahead of them at Apple, how do you keep them at Apple? I think, I've said this for a while and I stand by it, I think they should create more positions at the top. Apple seem to want to do this when they want to do this. Uh, they consolidate, they expand. I think that there is space for more top positions on that leadership page, even more C-level positions, freeing up a VP position or two, or VP positions. Um, I think this is something that they have the ability to do when they want to do it. I don't know why they don't do that. Well, I mean, some of it, I would imagine some of it is, is uh, I'm in charge of this and I don't want to give it up. I think that that is a challenge and that's a management challenge. I think some of it is uh, when you promote somebody, you want to give them a feeling that they're actually in charge of something. And there is this potential to have the hollow promotion where you're promoting somebody to be in charge of a thing that you're, but your boss is the same because they're actually in charge of both. So I'm in charge of A and B and I decide that I really love my lieutenants in A and B. So I'm going to make them senior vice presidents of A and B. They still report to me and their job was to be in charge of A and B and it still is to be in charge of A and B and I'm still in charge of them. Like that's great, but it's also nothing, right? That's the danger is uh, but I think you're right, and and this is a place where, as we mentioned about Deidre O'Brien, that there's potential is at some point, does a lieutenant step up in HR or retail, and Deidre O'Brien says, I'm not going to do retail anymore. Mm-hmm. You're going to do retail. And you it's a real promotion. Or at some point, are you a very senior person and you've got two people who are in charge of these two groups? At that moment where you decide to enter into fellowship and go to your island, um, do those two people, rather than them fighting it out to see who gets your job, you both, you basically say, no, now you're separately in charge of these things. Um, and you were both report to Tim Cook. The challenge there is that also, it, whether it's Jeff Williams or Tim Cook, like there's only so many people who you can have report to you. Um, you can't have a structure where there's like 50 people reporting to the CEO. That, it doesn't work. So, uh, it's tough. I mean, that's why they pay him the big bucks. <laughs> but uh, that is a challenge that that they have. This episode is brought to you by Samebox. When thinking about the biggest time waster at work, you know, I don't have to think about it. The answer is email. Everyone knows this, right? How much time do we spend in email? How much time do we spend dealing with email that was never needed to be sent in the first place or stuff that you just don't want to receive? In fact, a recent study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inbox is spent on emails that never needed to be sent to them or that don't need an answer. But what if you could just press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? That's what Samebox does. In fact, you don't even need to press that button. Samebox does it for you, automatically, some could say. You can get your email under control with Samebox and filter out all of the messages that don't need your focus. You don't have to switch email apps because it works in whichever email client you already use because it works on the software end. It's like on the services end, I should say. It also has some nifty features like the same black hole where you can vanquish senders you never want to hear from again and same reminders for sending email reminders to your future self which will appear in your inbox. It's like that snoozing stuff that a lot of email apps do but across applications, which is fantastic. 
I use Sanebox and have for many years for a couple of things. So I use uh, two filters. Um, I use Sane News and Sane Later. So Sane Later is like it basically, Sanebox is looking at my email and is filtering out stuff that it thinks I don't need to see. It's people I don't interact with. It's people maybe that are calling, like emailing me for the first time, that kind of stuff. They have some really clever stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And then once I've replied to that person for the first time, or I've picked that email, or I've maybe I've moved it to my inbox, Sanebox learns from that. And then I'll see that person in my inbox in the future. And it's just a way to try and keep my inbox to the emails that I need to see immediately. And then I can dig into other stuff when I want to. And saying news is filtering out newsletters and stuff like that, which is really great. Because that's stuff that doesn't need my attention immediately. I'll get to it when I want to get to it. That's like a different function. And that is the type of stuff that Sanebox does for me and can do for you. See how Sanebox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a two-week free trial. Go to sanebox.com slash upgrade FM today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash upgrade FM. Our thanks to Sanebox for their support of this show and Relay FM. It is time for some hashtag ask upgrade questions. And the first today comes from Levin who asks, which blogs do you read to stay on top of streaming media news for Upstream? Well, I blogs is not my answer. I mean, I do, I follow some people on Twitter mm-hmm. and um, I follow, including uh, the Hollywood Reporter, mm-hmm. which is not a blog. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a major industry website. But they have a uh, they have a reporter Natalie Jarvie who used to be on Download when we did that podcast um, all the time, and she's great and she is their tech, their digital reporter. Yep. Um, and so I follow her and also look at that site and I get a lot there. And then there's you know there's Friday and then honestly the Apple blogs um, like uh, Nine to Five Mac and Mac Rumors like they do a pretty good job. And even Mac Stories actually, from time to time, will have have links to this stuff too. It's a little bit out of what they usually focus on, but like a lot of those places will will have noted a you know an Apple signing that got reported somewhere else, and I'll I'll, I'll see that sort of secondhand. But um, a lot of this stuff is it's it's Hollywood, it's industry stuff, and THR and Variety and Deadline are the sites that cover that industry. Um, they're all now apparently owned by the same company, which is really bad, by the way. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. The entire industry's uh, entire voice is now consolidated in one organization, and that's going to people are going to lose their jobs. The industry is not going to be covered as well. Um, they they it's a company that actually one of the owners actually makes TV shows and movies, so they're gonna there's gonna oh, be like God. interference, and it's so bad. Uh, but anyway. Um, I still go to those sites and Natalie Jarvie does a fantastic job at covering uh, the tech industry uh, inside entertainment. So check her out, THR.com. I agree with all of that. Um, And it used to be when we started doing this, you had to follow Hollywood to get the stuff that Apple was doing, especially. So, you know, I follow Variety, Variety, uh, have an RSS feed somewhere, somewhere that is just their tech stuff. 
um, which is good. And I also follow nice. Natalie Jarvie and Lucas Shaw and Todd Spangler. They're like the three people. So like Natalie, yeah, Lucas and Todd are like three people that always have good reporting on this stuff because they all come at this from a tech angle as well, which is interesting to me. Uh-huh. But these days, most of my information about Apple TV comes from, uh, as you said, Mac Stories, Mac Rumors on 9 to 5 Mac because they're all following it now because it's important. You know, I just say we were there first, right? I think everyone can agree on that <laughs> at this point that we were there first. Um, but yeah these days I don't need to go to Variety and Deadline to get that news Uh, but typically when I see it on 9to5Mac I do click through to whatever source they're pulling it from um, because it tends to be Deadline Variety The Hollywood Reporter and they will have more uh, information as is typical with, with that type of article Martin asked, do you think that the icon customization trend that we've seen will bring more people to actually use shortcuts for automation? I think yes, because I think that there are a lot of people now that didn't even know this app existed and may dig around. I don't think it's going to be like, now the whole world is using shortcuts. But I just think naturally, through there being more people using it, more people will be like, what else does this do? So I think it's good. Um, I do think, I want to put this out there, I, I do think we are going to see a more official way of doing this and shortcuts will be the answer. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, my guess is no, but my longer answer is what you said, which is I'm sure that some people will discover shortcuts and think, oh, look at this. I didn't know this was there. And then they'll do more things with user automation. But I doubt it will be a particularly large number. And my gut feeling is that in the long run, I mean, Apple might just make a change so that when you tap on an icon that runs a shortcut that runs an app, it just launches the app and doesn't show you the shortcut interface. But um, if I had to guess, my guess is that Apple will instead provide a way for people to do custom icons next year. Yeah. That yeah, I, just, you paste I, I it in. agree. I just, I, for, for whatever reason, I think that they will quote unquote hide this in shortcuts and it will just it would be, be like easy an to do way to do it. Right. If they decided it was the right thing to do, they could do that in an update to iOS 14 mm-hmm. and it would become one of those things where it maybe slides down the little notification saying I'm opening this app and shows that app's icon or whatever, mm-hmm. but doesn't open up shortcuts or anything like that. Because that, that feels so arbitrary already, right? Like what there are actions that if you tap on an icon in, uh, in fact, here's a, here's a good one. Those icons, you tap on them in the home screen and they launch shortcuts and then they run the shortcut and then they open the app. But if you put them in a widget, and you tap on them, they just open. So like I made a widget called Read News that gives me a list of like 10 news sources that I read, and most of them are apps, but some of them are websites, and I tap on them, Hmm. and it just opens, right? Like in the widget, if you launch it from the widget, there are certain things, certain actions you take that don't open the shortcuts UI, but uh, tapping on the icon in the home screen opens the shortcuts UI. So like they could adjust that if they wanted to and said, oh no, for something this simple, we're just going to put up a little sliding notification-y thing that says, oh, I'm now opening this app that you asked me to open. And uh, that would probably be fine. That would be the easier thing to do. But I think in the long run, they they just need to embrace, uh, this was my Macworld column a couple of weeks ago, just embrace it, right? Like just let people be able to paste in new icons. Like it's fine. Do that. Let's do that. Adrian asks, with the next generation consoles, are you going with Xbox, PlayStation 5, neither, both, or undecided? Um, my son has determined 
that we will get the PS5. Okay. Because he says that the the title the the software the titles on it are better. And I so even though that. we've got a PS4 and an Xbox, and in fact we were I would say we were an Xbox primary house before. He is more excited about the PS5, and he de- he determines everything in our of house. Yeah. So yeah, he's the gamer. Mm-hmm. I am PlayStation Five primarily for the same reason as your son. Um, but I have also ordered the Xbox Series S, the cheaper one, because the price is so good. It's two hundred and fifty dollars, yeah. sure, uh, two hundred fifty pounds. It's kind of like I already do pay for Xbox Game Pass, so yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I might no, that as well makes just sense. Go for it, and, and we and we will probably end up there too because it's not like yeah. we don't have an Xbox One X and yeah. a. Uh, and a PS4 in our house right now. In fact, I was playing uh, uh, Star Wars Squadrons on the PSVR. I, I heard about this, this on the Secret Podcast. I was oh, yeah. very surprised to hear that you got a PSVR as well, but we can maybe talk about that another time. But I want oh, yeah. to know what you think of Squadrons because I'm wondering if it's a game that I want to get. Yeah. I mean, it. yeah. It. it, it I'm terrible at it because okay. I'm terrible at video games, but uh, it's fun. And I loved X-Wing and TIE Fighter. Um, a million years ago in like the 90s it looks when those hard, were games. This game. It, it is hard. Okay. It is hard. But you know what? I am a big believer in uh, easy mode. Oh, <laughs> and story, sure. Or, or it's called here is story mode. And, and it's like, oh, is it super easy? Yeah. That's because you know what? I don't need the challenge. I just want to have fun flying around in space and see the story. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and so that's why they make an easy mode, a story mode. And that's what I what I use. But yeah, it was fun. I've only played the little intro part, so I've got more to do there. But um, but I have played some great PSVR games. We should talk about that at some point. James Thompson hooked me up with the best PSVR games, and um, I have not been disappointed with his selections. Johan asks, when you watch Apple events live, do you watch them on YouTube or the Apple website? I'm old school, so I use the Apple website. Yeah, me too. I've always done that, so... I just always, I just keep doing it. I like to watch them on my Apple TV and, you know, the Apple TV app for uh, Apple events is better than the YouTube app is for its purpose on the Apple TV. I think that's true. And Molly's asks, Molly's opens and closes the show today, both Snell Talk and Ask Upgrade. Uh, In your opinion, is there value in sleep tracking? I think there's oh boy. <laughs> I've I think never value. done it, which is why I wanted to ask. Like I've I've never done it because I don't particularly want to wear so, a device while yeah. sleeping, but I'm yeah. I, I'm open to trying it. I have tried it. Um I think I think it depends on who you are. I'm a big um like life logging person. I'm I'm fascinated by keeping various stats about stuff. And even I look at sleep tracking and think <sighs> like I think I think sleep tracking is important if you have an issue with sleep and you are trying to figure it out, perhaps with a doctor, perhaps not. Um, I think, I think it can have value there. I think that what Apple's trying to do is impose structure on people. It's a very Apple thing to do with a, the Apple watch where they're trying to impose a sleep structure on people because there is apparently a lot of medical evidence that the solution to people with sleep problems is you set a uh, bedtime every time every day and then you a wake up time every day and you do that and you get in a rhythm and if you're one of these people who kind of meanders and maybe they go to bed at 10 or 11 or 12 or 1 but like whatever it's all over the place and they get up whenever that that's worse for your sleep and so i i appreciate that apple is making that um uh, using that approach 
as somebody who doesn't have sleep problems, I refuse to live that way. <laughs> like, um, I was listening to John Gruber and Ben Thompson talk about this. And again, Ben pointed out, you know, the guy without a job, basically, you know, of course he can go to bed whenever he wants. And I feel the same way. But at the same time, like, the idea that I'm going to set a bedtime for myself and that, like, the Apple Watch is going to enforce it. Mm. It's like, I generally know when I go back to bed and I generally know when I turn off the light, but I decide when I want to do that. And I don't go, oh, no, my watch tells me I have to go to sleepy time now. Yes, yes, watch. I will do what you say. I hate that. I hate it. Yeah, if I was going to do it, I wouldn't want to use Apple's version of it for that reason. Right, right. But I get why Apple does it that way. This is the thing is, as much as it frustrates me, I know that one of the most primary bits of advice for people who are having sleep problems is go to bed at the same time every day. Like that is actually an answer because your body wants to have the rhythm of it. So is there value in sleep tracking? I'm sure there is. If you're having a problem sleeping, I don't think there's value in it in like I crushed my sleep rings, right? Where it's like I got my eight hours, I'm killing it. I think that is a waste of time. If you would like to send in questions uh, for the show, just send an update with the hashtag AskUpgrade. But of course, don't forget, send in your questions for Tim Miller and Tom Boga from Apple on our next episode. A14 Bionic, iPad Air, and Apple Silicon are the focuses of the conversation. Uh, I will just say this. You can feel free to ask what you want, right? But I have told you what we're talking about. (laughs) So if you want a question to be asked on the show, keep those rules in mind. If you are going to ask us a question to ask them what the next iPhone is going to be called, it's not going to get asked on the show, right? We're not going to waste our time or more importantly, actually, we're not going to waste their time. Um, You know, like we have our topics of conversation. So that's going to be what we're going to talk about. Uh, You can send those questions in with the hashtag AskUpgrade or if you're in the Real FM members Discord, the question mark AskUpgrade. There is a benefit to that because you can ask way longer questions in the Discord if you want to for whatever reason. Bear that in mind for AskUpgrade or SnellTalk because we don't have the Twitter character limit there. Thank you so much to for tuning in to this episode. If you want episodes of Upgrade with more content and no ads, go to getupgradeplus.com and become a member. Sign up and you can get access to that. Uh, that's at getupgradeplus.com. Thanks to Sanebox, KiwiCo, and Squarespace for the support of this episode. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, everybody. 